0: From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking all things political dysfunction with Dr. Aaron Feistinger.
1: How do we exist together? How do we take care of each other? And when we're taking care of each other, how do we define the lines of, like, how much care? Like, those are tough questions to answer, and they're things that the government, I think, fundamentally deals with. I love city council. And I love city government because of that. That question is always being asked, like, where are the lines? Sometimes literally.
0: (laughs) We're talking about what value history offers us today, how today's problems have roots to the recent and sometimes ancient past, and what a more functional future might look like. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. Next time on The Entertainment, we're looking at the decline of sexuality in movies since the turn of the century. What exactly is necessary in art? Is is art itself even necessary? I find it very striking that is the sex scene necessary is discourse, and we don't see that discourse on any other kind of scene. Listen Saturday at 5 p.m. on 915 FM, KIOS, Omaha Public Radio, and PRX. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. You know what you don't hear much? Wow, the unicameral sure is doing a great job today. Or, I'm really happy with how Congress is legislating and representing me. And yet a lot of Americans will still tell you this is the best system of government that has ever existed. I don't, I don't know what to make of that sometimes. You know, the, the value placed on our institutions is often at least rhetorically rooted in history, that things may be bad now, but, well, they used to work, and think about how well they could work again. I don't feel like I have a good enough sense of history to answer these questions, but our guest today is someone who does, Dr. Erin Feistinger. She has a PhD in history and currently serves as policy director at the Women's Fund of Omaha. We're talking about what history can offer us in a tense present and what this all means for the future. Here's our conversation. All right, so your favorite favorite (laughs) politics quote comes from Vonnegut?
1: And it's not even about politics, but... He says, everybody wants to build and nobody wants to do maintenance.
0: Yeah, that's that's so true about everything, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think particularly now so much is so performative. It's like um, I've been witnessing with, I don't know what the feeling is, but like the, the slow and now accelerating collapse of the Casey's General Store in my neighborhood. <laughs> like none of the gas pumps ever work. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I don't know how to explain this in the right way, but it's like we're a gas station, sure. Yes, it says that we do gas, but we we don't have gas. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, I'm
0: just like obsessed with its collapse in that way where I'm just like,
1: this is so, this really is like all of
0: us right now. yeah. We've, yeah. Well, it's like, you know, people too. Everyone wants to build a person. No one wants to do maintenance on themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. I heard this quote recently from this really wonderful human they said you um you can't self-care your way out of capitalism, patriarchy and white supremacy. <laughs> and it's like yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, nobody wants to do maintenance, I mean, on the country, on the power structures. All it really it's everything, right?
1: No, I think we should just keep introducing um wild legislation that hurts like that hurts people and then just walk away from it. I
0: think yeah. from
1: the destruction. I think that's what I'm being facetious as listeners. That is not are how you, I feel. Well,
0: there's this great line uh, in Metropolitan. We just did the series on Witt Stillman, so it's fresh in my mind, where uh, this character goes on this big rant about clip-on ties or something, and then at the end he says, I'm not entirely joking. <laughs> and I feel like that all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah, I always make the joke um,
1: that people, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, people are like, oh, you're, you're funny. I'm like, oh, thank you. It is a... Well-honed defense mechanism against the encroaching darkness of the world. <laughs> I've been working on it a long time.
0: Well, maybe maybe that's where we could start. Let's the, start the, there. Let's start the darkest part and see where <laughs> see where we end up. If we can dig ourselves out of the hole, if we
1: can come out of the cave, we'll see.
0: Yeah. Um. How how stable is uh, the United States right now? Maybe <laughs> let's start there.
1: I don't even know, Tom. Um, it's hard to conceptualize. Uh, what's happening like nationally? Um. I'm so obsessed with, like, local and state government that it's... And I've been thinking about this. I'm trying to figure out, like, why I don't really pay attention to, like, the federal level. And I feel like it's because it's so difficult. And this is the fault of, you know, a lot of those elected officials at that level. It's so difficult to figure out how anything that they're doing makes a difference in my day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and in the current world like that's what concerns me not not things that affect you yeah i mean not just like me but i mean like the daily life of people um you know and i feel like we interact so much with with particularly the federal government like through social media so it's just like Here's a clip of someone screaming, and here's a clip of someone getting embarrassed because they got dumb talking points from, you know, some hate group or something. And I just, I never hear anything from our federal delegation. I know Ricketts did that, like, promo, like, five-minute action promo for his first floor speech on the Senate. Like, that was fun. (laughs) But I don't, I don't know anything I don't I'm I just am not well versed <laughs> enough to figure out like
0: how this. Uh... Well, OK, so part of I think one of the one of the issues I see is we have uh, divided government in the sense that two different parties hold different chambers, which just basically means nothing ever happens. Mm. Right. Like they don't really there's there are reconciliation bills where stuff happens. A lot of stuff kind of gets passed in one doesn't really go anywhere with the other. And nobody's really trying to work together so I think a lot of people do just give up
1: yeah well I think it's also just it's difficult um, to understand the how things work I mean most of most of what I've found in my job is that when you give people the information of like how the government works like, this is the basics. This is what a public hearing looks like. This is how much time you're gonna have. This is the sort of flow of the conversation. Here's how to read an agenda. Like, those really are like huge barriers to entry for so many people. And I do this for a living. I couldn't even begin to tell you. Like, how do I go to Congress? <laughs> like, I, I watch Schoolhouse Rock. I don't, yeah. I, how do I, do I just call someone? Like, how does this happen, right? And then there's also what I find so fascinating is, you know, the dysfunction on the national level. Um, we're starting to see more of it, obviously, here in Nebraska. But, like, you watch that and you are like, oh man, the unicameral is so great. What a great system this is. Ugh. I mean, conceptually, <laughs> theoretically.
0: Right. Well, uh, so the mm. what how the unicameral has always been framed to me is it doesn't have the uh partisan issues, right? It's not as polarized because uh you know, everyone will figure out a way to work together or it's kind of this historically uh you know, rose-colored glasses of they used to always work together, they can again. Therefore, we shouldn't be too bothered by the current situation. But wh- why is it that the unicameral isn't more functional or at least is not as functional as people would like it to be?
1: Yeah, I would say be bothered about the current dysfunction for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that that is an inaccurate assessment of the legislature, that it it did work together. The system itself, these little weird rules that they have, something like the secret ballot for committee chair elections, um, you know, it really has done a good job in the past of working together um, to figure out how we move like a, how we make something a good policy is everyone gonna agree with whether or not it's a good policy no but at least it like made functional sense now and it wasn't even too long ago that that was the case there was compromise I really has started breaking down in the last couple years and then, this last session I mean even people who'd been around forever were like what is happening the entire thing to me quite honestly and I don't know if this is like a good popular it's not a popular reference I'm not hip in any way shape or form Um, but I kind of felt like I was living in a Shirley Jackson story
0: yeah it doesn't make you feel good
1: (laughs) no but there was like these weird things that would happen and like in her stories right you're like this something is just something is off yeah and right and there was like when it started there was always there was just like so many moments like that where you're like like this seems like it like it look it looks the same as how I remember but it is uh everything is fully off the rails in a way that I can't quite pinpoint
0: well, so it's it seems always a little oversimplified for me to pretend like Trump was this totally random phenomenon that came out of nowhere as opposed to the result of a lot of things. But what you're saying, the timeline does sort of track with, right, post-Trump, at least the discourse started changing. Do you attribute Trumpism and the way that politics shifted? Like, is, is that spilling over into the unicameral?
1: I mean, the, the really harmful – bills that we've seen in other state legislatures and that the you know those are all part of a national playbook and they've come to Nebraska um, in I think a way that was shocking to a lot of people I will say that I don't know that it's I don't know I, I don't know that it, I would describe it in, entirely to Trump I think a person like Trump throughout history comes about as a result of, like you said, a lot of a lot of failures along the way. And people feel disaffected and they feel like things are changing and they can't figure out where they fit or why this is happening or you know, they just know their life seems worse. And in those moments I feel like I'm not trying to paint everyone with a broad brush. But people tend to, like, retreat into those, um, like, tradition, Mm -hmm. apple pie, mom's cooking, like those kinds of what they would describe as being traditional. um, And that usually is a thing. Like, you saw it in the, like, with communism, you know, like the McCarthy era and that kind of stuff. We saw the same thing with groups of – Local citizens organizing to protect children from communism, you know, and they'd go to school board meetings and they'd knock doors and they'd do all this stuff. And I don't think that's a bunch of different from where we are now, but we've just. The boogeyman changes. Yeah. 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 Because you need someone to blame because the world is complicated. The world is complicated and scary. It is. Um, <laughs> you know, no one's got it fully figured out. So when someone comes around and says, I've got this figured out, here's why here's why your life feels the way it does. That's an easy thing. Um Yeah. I mean, so I wouldn't ascribe I guess to go back to your original question, I wouldn't ascribe it entirely to that. I think there is this is what happens throughout history. Um and I'm not I'm not discounting the very real pain and, and suffering that people are feeling right now either. Um but I think that people default to the easy thing. I will also say that I'm almost positive that a lot of um, our current state senators did not campaign to the wide general public to their voters on things like, you know, uh, I think I'm just gonna be really anti-LGBTQ plus. Like they're not knocking doors saying that. They're knocking doors saying I'm gonna go after property taxes. I'm going to, you know, get this development done in your neighborhood. You know, I'm going to make sure that fiscally conservative values are here. I don't think they're talking about those other things.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Dr. Aaron Feistinger about what history can offer us in a tense present and what it all means for the future of our country. What ideas do you have for how to improve America, to improve the Unicameral, to improve Congress? What do you think? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. Do you think that even among um, Republican bases, Republican voters, that it would make a difference, right? Because like my experience growing up in a fairly Republican Omaha culture a lot of people have that party loyalty and the, the issues don't really matter at all. They A lot of times I think they pretend that the issues matter, but really it's just, I'm going to vote for my people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess I could see that. Um, I mean, at this right, the we have a nonpartisan legislature, so it's you're technically not supposed to campaign as an R or D, um, but that's obviously not how anything works in practice. There's slate cards, there's Uh, campaign infrastructure that both parties have. There's all of that so everyone knows um, who's who and what's what. Um, But I also don't think that many people just honestly just don't pay attention to it. They haven't felt like they needed to pay attention to the state legislature to their elected officials um, until you do. And one thing that I will say Talked to a lot of people last session who were coming to the Capitol for the first time, right? Helping them through that process. And a lot of them are like, yeah, I just, I didn't think that they were coming for for us. And that's not to say that they were doing it wrong before. It's just that maybe, I don't know, maybe that speaks to the idea that we have been doing a pretty good job at the Nebraska State Legislature of like not engaging in things that actively harm people, and now we're engaging in things that actively harm people, and people are showing up. They're saying, "I got to get educated. I got to figure out what's going on here."
0: Well, they're, they're, what they're showing up, or I saw Josie Schaefer just publish some new data that it's not brain drain necessarily in the sense that only people with uh, degrees are leaving, but also just young people in general are leaving.
1: Huh? <sighs> I wonder why. Do you think it's the top income tax rate is too high? <laughs> I think that's when I talk to young people, their main concerns. I don't know if sarcasm picks up on the radio. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I it's, think your tone's clear. It's, it's property tax, too high property taxes and the top income corporate tax rate. That's the two main issues driving young people to or from Nebraska.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's what comes up. And it doesn't seem to be moving the dial, right? Like seeing the numbers. So like whatever you might say, this seems intuitive to me that this is the problem. If the numbers show people leaving, you'd think that you you know, you know might reconsider what the problem might be. But that, I, I don't get the sense that that's happening. Do you? Or, Tom, you could double down. You're right, yes. You could do that. Why would you double down?
1: Uh, <laughs> I don't know, because you're convinced of your own worldview. You know, I think I think we spend a lot of time in Omaha and in Nebraska, like, just focusing on business interests. And, like, I'm not sure that that's the primary driver of economic development or growth or healthy communities. Like, certainly you need jobs um, for people to make a living, but you also need things like a living wage. And you need, you know, women need uh, flexibility to be able to raise their, you know, have kids (laughs) and, like, care for their children and then work at the same time. So do dads. They need those things too. But we just – we're so focused on I don't I don't even know like whatever however you define economic development that we don't care about the other things that attract people to a place like I lived in Chicago and I don't know that I ever thought about economic development in Chicago um I liked things like The fact that I could go places on a train or a bus and get there and that there were interesting things to do and interesting people and parks and walkable, you know, a walkable city that I had things in my neighborhood. Um, Like those were things that I liked about Chicago.
0: And probably things you notice when you don't have anymore. Oh my
1: gosh, if I could have a grocery store in my neighborhood instead of the slowly collapsing Casey's General Store <laughs> which I will go to until it finally dies <laughs> um, but if I could have that I mean that's really one of those things like I live in Benson um, however you define Benson Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I love that it's a bit of a hike but I can walk up to that main drag and there's cool things to do I really like that mm-hmm. um, if there was a grocery store just a little market where I just needed bread and eggs wow oh, be a game changer and related to that not just the grocery store if i felt safe walking on the sidewalks up to benson because northwest Radial is might shock listeners to know that it is very (laughs) unsafe for everyone quite honestly yeah yeah businesses light poles cars pedestrians everybody trees just everybody.
0: Well, so when, when you talk about uh, the doubling down, and I think we talked about this a little bit uh, last time we spoke, but um, the the question that I always get stuck on, and I really thought about this when I, I spoke with Jack Gould about lobbying in the legislature, was oftentimes I think it, it seems that money can get people in office to do things, and that does not have to have any correlation to what they think, believe, feel, and the amount of money coming in is increasing So it seems like essentially the the entire agenda doesn't necessarily have to correspond to any of the people's thoughts and we can kind of have them as just sort of these proxies for wherever money's coming from. And then it's sort of like, I don't even know how to fight that because it's not even really an ideological battle in politics anymore.
1: (laughs) This is great. I'm a lobbyist. Um, uh, Let's see. Yeah, that's, that's a lot to unpack, Tom. Um, I think that last session was a good example of and i was just talking i literally was just talking to someone about this on the phone but um a lot of citizens showed up and realized that no one was listening to them and that was made very clear in public hearings that got shut down before people got a chance to testify Mm -hmm. it was made very clear in you know they shut the doors to the chamber which was like a visual representation of like, you all are too loud. Let the grownups do their work. Right. Um, it's also, I think, unconstitutional. But,
0: well, um, well, listening can just be performative too. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah, have yeah. to pretend to be kickbang attention. I
1: mean, and that really is the thing. There was a lot of, um, we had a lot of families who came up to the Capitol for the first time um, and, and to talk to their senators. And there's that glass, that you can see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And we would put in notes for their senator, for their senator, their constituents, and you'd watch the red coat walk over, hand the note, they'd read the note, and then they just put it to the side and the senator never came out. Like, we can see you looking up you know, a menu, like mm-hmm. you don't have time to come out and listen. So right. there's that breakdown, and then there's also, I think, the genuine frustration from citizens as well where when you do have that conversation, when you've taken the time to do something like take off work and drive to Lincoln and, you know, figure this out in this scary place, in this in this system that you don't understand, you know, because it is it's unsettling mm-hmm. when you're just walking into a new situation. Sure. Um, and then to have that conversation, feel like it went well. And then watch the vote go and you're like nothing I do m- matters right and so citizens feel like that and then they feel like that about their elected official they feel like it's not worth it um they get angry they get frustrated and then elected officials are a lot you know that tampons down engagement um And then elected officials that, well, I'm not hearing from constituents about that. Well, you're not hearing from constituents about it because constituents tried to talk to you about it and you ignored them. So they're not going to keep
0: doing it. (laughs) So my cynical reaction to that would be, though, isn't the constituency, it's just shifted from the people in the district to wherever whatever special interest group and money is making them comfortable.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. I think that's inherent, unfortunately, like in the way that politics is operated. I mean, we like to... You know, venerate the founding fathers, but like the founding fathers were rich white male landowners, who were like, I don't know if people who don't own land should be allowed to vote, yeah, because they're not smart enough, and who also were like, we should own people. So I'm not <laughs> certain that 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 we've always that we've built some sort of incredible system, right and and people with with money and power are always going to feel like they have the answers. like a good example is um whenever we tried to do like paid family medical leave, you know, the businesses will come in and say like, no, 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 I mean we totally agree, and we care we care very deeply about our employees. We just think that we are the better decision makers for what's good for them, not you. Mm-hmm. And so we've never passed it. And then at the same token, you've got, and this is like why, and I think this is why people are just existing in this state of despair right now. But, um, and then you've got on the flip side, uh, someone who comes in and is like, you know what we should do is regulate people's healthcare. In a really harmful and discriminatory way, we should do that
0: while saying we hate big government too.
1: Yeah, and being against government overreach.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right.
1: And you're just like, so how are you? How do you not like if you believe that the this, you, it just is is too much.
0: I don't know how to have an ideological argument because I don't think ideology or coherency is really valued anymore.
1: I don't. I don't think that it is either. And I will tell you, you know. Working around elected officials for a long time, and and I'm not—I'm not saying this about every single one of them. Right, right. Hashtag not all (laughs) (laughs) electeds—they're fine. Um, but the ones who are sort of the most vehement about these issues, yeah. I mean, there's no—I would tell families, I'm like, you don't need to talk to them. Just protect your peace. You're not gonna—you're not gonna change their mind. But I do think that there's. There is some efficacy to like the one-on-one constituent conversations on issues like this because, I don't know, people just... I asked one senator last session, I said, have you ever thought about a trans person in your entire life? Like until January when this bill got introduced. Did you ever think about this? Like, no. Yeah. So maybe we should take some time and think about that. You know, like, I or just don't care and don't vote on it. Like, this isn't your business.
0: Well, so what would you say the motivation is then for that person voting on it? Hurt feelings. Hurt feelings. Well, where did the feelings get hurt? The filibuster. So it's just a, it's a retribution sort of act?
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't even blame, like, the filibuster. This is the other thing. I wouldn't blame – I mean, what happened last session was um, – I think really courageous on the part of a lot of people, like not just electeds, but citizens. And that guy. I mean, the vote didn't go our way, but it was, I have never seen that much engagement. I've never seen that much like backbone um, in that, like sustained backbone in that body. So I don't really, I think that yeah. I mean, they said that, at you know, in the press conference afterwards, they this is, you know, we couldn't have done this. if People if if people didn't like getting yelled at, you know, and, and we hear that from people, too, like, oh, well, it was just the citizens were just so angry. You're like, well, I wonder why. Maybe the lesson isn't like, well, we should vote for this thing that they're yelling about so that they don't yell at us anymore. Like, that doesn't make any sense.
0: (laughs) I'm talking with Dr. Aaron Feistinger about the current state of political dysfunction from the local to the national, what history can offer to help us understand it, and what we might do to fix it. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Remember, you can find the backlog of all Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. We'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. I'm talking today with Dr. Aaron Feistinger about the current state of political dysfunction from the local to the national, what history can offer to help us understand it, and what we might do to fix it. Here's the rest of our conversation. Well, so okay. You, you said the, a phrase that people exist in kind of a state of despair about government. Mm-hmm. A contradiction I seem to find is I think that's true, and you hear that from, I think, all sides of the ideological spectrum, and yet most people will still say, but this is the best system for government that's ever been invented. Uh, it's the best one that exists currently. And I don't know how exactly to square those two ideas. Do you? Do you what do you make of that?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's about as easy to square those two ideas with the idea of like, all these small government people running for government office. Like, I feel like if you really were against big government, like, you would just introduce legislation to get rid of the government. (laughs) Right? I mean, like, I don't know. Um, I think we like to say that it's the greatest because it makes us feel better about its dysfunction.
0: Well, why do we feel the need to say it's better? Like, Why do we need to
1: Tradition, right. apple pie, mom's cooking. Time. Okay, because we're scared. Yeah.
0: What are we scared of?
1: Well, what does it look like to change? Look how people are responding to just society changing around them. Can you even imagine <laughs> like what it would be like to be like, you know what? Maybe, maybe we've gone a little far afield here. Like, how do we get back to center? And it, I think that it's difficult when you when you just default to this is the best system then you don't have to explain its inadequacies or its failings. And we are failing, we are failing a lot of people. And then you don't have to ask yourself those sort of central questions of like, what does it mean to be a society? Like, We're not enlightenment thinkers here, Tom. We're not creating social contracts or like writing the Leviathan, right? right? We're just like publishing blog posts about Marjorie Taylor Greene screamed at someone again you know like this is this is not and I'm not saying we need to go back to the enlightenment but I do think whenever we're in sort of a moment of like even like even if I just bring it down to personally whenever I am in a moment of like where do I go next like what something is wrong right here in this space that I'm in where do I go next I feel like the sort of default question for me to figure that out is well, like what's going to be the best for the most people? I guess that's very utilitarian. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Jeremy, be- we're going back to Jeremy Bentham here. All right. All here right. we go. Uh, we're all a bunch of Benthamites. Cool. But I don't think that's like the wrong question to ask. How do we exist together? Mm-hmm. How do we take care of each other? And when we're taking care of each other, how do we define the lines of like how much care? Like those are tough questions to answer and they're things that the government I think fundamentally deals with, like I was telling you before we started, i just rolled in from city council. <laughs> like that's like every, I love city council and I love city government because of that. That question is always being asked like, where are the lines? Sometimes literally <laughs> right? like where's the line of this blighted area? Where's the property line? Where does the line between the citizen's responsibility and the city's responsibility on the road like happen? Like, mm-hmm. And I think those are really fundamentally interesting questions that we should be asking ourselves, and if we acknowledge that we may not have the right the right system, we'll have to ask ourselves that in a really unsettling way.
0: Should we be asking ourselves those questions that make us unsettled? Yes, okay, and the- you
1: just come to me with a you just find me at a party, and I will <laughs> ask you those questions.
0: <laughs> But nobody would ask questions like that on the the Senate floor, for example, I don't think.
1: No. No. Or, I mean, some people do. Sometimes you do get, like, a video, right, where you're like, oh, that's that's really interesting. That person might be a states person, <laughs> you know? Like, that's an interesting situation. Um, but, no, you're not really getting those, like, great speeches that you would find in a – when I used to teach history or, right, like, a primary source book. But I I do think people need to ask themselves those questions. I think people need to evaluate why they respond to things in a certain way and reset. And you can do that for all of society. But if we can't do it individually, and I'm not saying I'm the best at this. Like, please do not come to me asking for advice on self-care. Like, this is not even close to being my strong suit. But um, if you take an issue, like, let's say homelessness in Omaha.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm not talking like the broad issue. Um, I'm talking about you're in your car and you see someone flying a sign. Mm -hmm. And if your immediate response is like that lazy, like get a job, right? You might need to reset a little bit and ask yourself, why did I respond that way? Why, Why does this person's existence on this corner bother me in that way. And I think if you really went down you would like go back and you'd find like, well, I just am a little uncomfortable with existing in a society where I have so much and I'm warm and safe in my car. And there's someone who doesn't have that. And I don't want to think too deeply about why they don't have what I have. Because if you did, you'd be like, well, we don't, you know, we don't have mental health care we don't have support for people with substance abuse issues. We don't have support, oh man, I'm so depressing. We don't have support, you know, we don't have enough affordable housing. Our shelters are overflowing. Like we don't have the things in place for this person to not be in this, on this corner. Um, And then what about me and my life as contributing to that disparity and by extension to that person's, you know, that person that person being there in that moment
0: Mm -hmm. i mean that's it's a lot of questions first of all it's
1: a lot of questions and i suggest listening to uh good music while you're asking those questions of yourself in your car um (laughs) because i find that to be but yeah i mean it's a lot of questions you don't have to do it all right then i mean in that moment give them a water bottle and a granola bar right but like yeah thinking about it broadly i think is you know, the response to it is not passing a panhandling ordinance for the purpose of quote-unquote pedestrian safety. The,
0: right. That's an aesthetic response.
1: Yeah. It's not, you know, emailing your city councilor and being like, what are, we, you know, get rid of these homeless people. It's not showing up and complaining about all the litter and trash outside your business because of homeless people. Like, that's not the response that gets us to a better society.
0: What stops us from getting to the better society? Is it that people don't think far enough to try to actually address the problems? I don't think we're encouraged to think far enough.
1: Why? I, why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I should know these things, right? At some point I was an educator. Um, I don't – I mean, I don't know. I I think – yeah, I, don't, I really I really don't know the answer to that question why we don't. I think we could get there, and it goes back to my grand theory of why local government is the best, right? Yeah. <laughs> like. I think if more people like interacted with government in a way that wasn't constantly full of con- you know tension and reactive to something bad that the government is doing I think you do get to kind of like dig into why things are happening and and where you can make a bigger difference if that's
0: what you're into you also don't have to i mean there's but but to be a good citizen that is kind of part of the job right
1: yeah i mean to be a good citizen is interesting i mean i I do think you have to pay attention um i know the world is overwhelming so it's hard it's hard to pay attention they don't make it particularly easy to Mm -hmm. like access or interact and you know that's just how it is right now it doesn't have to be but that's how it is i think people fundamentally, for the most part, are good citizens. I think they care about their neighbors and they look out for each other. You know, I think they try. You must be a really dark person if you got me on the optimism train, Tom. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> truly. But I really, I mean, I genuinely think, like, I used to be, you know, I had grand ideas about government philosophy, political philosophy and how things should work and read all that. And now I'm kind of in the situation where I'm like, I think people just want, for the most part, to be left alone Mm -hmm. and they want to live their lives and they want to know that there's help if they need it. And we've made it impossible to do any of those things, to be left alone, like depending on who you are, that's um, (laughs) to live your life and to Get help when you need it. We can't do any of those things.
0: This was your optimistic take.
1: Yeah. No, I was gonna go to like. I, I do think that people are like. Like, okay, so you walk around your neighborhood, right? You probably know a couple of your neighbors. Mm-hmm. You've got you know passing, you know more or less knowledge about their lives. You know, you see their coming and going. You see their kids grow up. Like, you know people. You you're part of their world, and they're part of yours. Mm-hmm. My daughter watches so much Disney, so I almost broke into song, She's like pardon? <laughs> but, um, but you are like you're part of their world. They're part of yours. They're part of your conversation, right? We were all trapped in our houses, so like I knew like everything about my neighbors. Um, so, people, and that and that is being a good citizen, like looking out for someone, looking out for the people across the street. Yeah, sure, I'll look for your package. Yeah, sure, you know that's all part of being a good citizen. That's part of that contract that we have with each other not everybody does this but most people have at least some some version of that now the next part of that right is like taking that out of just your your street your neighborhood your I don't know community associate whatever it is Mm -hmm. and putting it sort of into the world like how do I take care of people that I've never met
0: and how do you want to
1: and how do you want to, right? And yeah, it's it's an interesting question. And I think one of the things that was so dis- that's so destructive in politics sometimes is that um, the people who are making the decisions are universalizing the wrong parts of that experience. Like they're actually doing that, but they're universalizing the wrong parts. So you know, they think like, oh, I, you know, I made it. It's the bootstraps. Mm-hmm. I made it without sort of evaluating why that might have been, right? Like, oh, it was because you grew up in the 50s as a white person. <laughs> like, that's that's why you made it. That might have something to do with it. Um, it's that whole, like, silver spoon thing, right? I, I'm a self-made man. I mean, granted, granted, I do work for my dad's company, and he is a multimillionaire. Right. But I did it myself. Like, right. that's... So you're universalizing the wrong part instead of like evaluating why you might feel that way um, or just being honest with yourself. I don't know. I'm way far afield now.
0: Well, no, I, I, <laughs> no, I think that made sense. You, you did swing it around to a, an optimistic, uh, humanistic sort oh, of gosh. ending there. Am I a
1: humanist? Yeah, that's true. We're well, we going back Vonnegut. to Kurt Vonnegut? Yeah, We're exactly. going back to secular humanism Yeah, to behave decently without any hope of a reward.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Dr. Aaron Feistinger about our political dysfunction today in the past and what this all means for the future of the country. What ideas do you have for how to improve the unicameral or Congress in general? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. Well, now, one of the things we talked about in our Lost Conversation. Uh, I
1: love that. The Lost Conversation. When we find it.
0: <laughs> if when, if, if you it's ha- out there.
1: If you ever find it, can you publish it? The Lost Conversation. Yes. <laughs> Tom's version. Yeah, the if director's Swiftie, cut. Yeah. <laughs> this is Tom's version.
0: Well, I think it actually is something we, we as you were about to leave, um, we realized we should have talked about, because you were excited to talk about it, and maybe promised that we'd talk about it, was Pirates.
1: Pirates. Yes.
0: So how, how do Pirates fit into your, your worldview? <laughs> I'm so thrilled about
1: this right now. Um, Yeah, pirates. Okay, so there was this great moment in the early 18th century called the Golden Age of Piracy. lasted about 1716 to 1726. And what it was was a response by sailors all across the Atlantic world who had for the longest time been really venerated by their government, like the British government. Britain was Britain because of... It's sailors, right? It's an island nation. It makes a lot of sense. So they were treated well mm-hmm. for, the, for the early 18th century. <laughs> so they were treated well, but when the market started to shift and we moved to more of like closer to a capitalist system, sailors started getting treated really, really badly. More as like commodities themselves than as this sort of we built the nation. You might find some I see some parallels. <laughs> some parallels, yeah. yeah. And so they responded in this really incredible way by basically just mutinying and they what they would do was go upon the account. And what that meant was they would sign on to a pirate ship. And they were just completely nihilistic about it. And they almost destroyed like the entire Atlantic trading system as a result of just being like, you know what? If this is how you guys are going to treat us, we're going to have to take over this island and get really drunk and blow up our ships and your ships and steal all your fancy clothes and all this stuff. So they may have been
0: nihilist, but they still wanted to have a good time.
1: Yeah. I mean, they did. So Blackbeard's whole thing was um, a life of plenty, power, pleasure, sadiety and ease with only a sour look or two at choking or getting hanged. And I'm not saying that people need to respond in that sort of like nihilistic way. But what's what's fascinating about pirates to me is that they're really we see these moments in history a lot where people who were counted out, discounted, you know, we had peasants revolts all through like the 13th, 14th, 15th centuries the Haitian revolution like all of these things where people are counted out and they do have power it's people stepping into their power and i'm not saying all pirates were great they did some pretty
0: terrible things there were some problematic pirates there were
1: some problematic to use the parlance of our day yes. tom <laughs> some very <laughs> some very problematic pirates and the discourse of course is very upsetting um <laughs> But I think that there's like when people sort of come together and everyone's gonna be like, she's a Marxist, which is fine. I
0: but mean, they, they say that if you say, what if we all had healthcare?
1: I know, I always say, people are gonna call me a name regardless of what I do, if it's a small thing or a big thing I'm trying to attempt. So we might as well go big. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Their <laughs> response is going to be the same. Yep. Might as well have a great time doing it. <laughs> might as well steal some fancy hats and sink a ship. Exactly. Like let's go. <laughs> um but yeah, I think when people like when they come together and realize they have like a common I think this is kind of what's missing a little bit right now. And I'm not calling for anything, but the villains of our time, like the the people who are being blamed for problems, like the ills in society, are not actually the people who are causing the ills in society, right? And I don't know who the other people are, but we, if we stop finding like scapegoats, and if we all sort of recognized that doing something like LB five seventy four doesn't help anyone, it's not solving any of your problems, and it's being used as a vehicle to. To distract from the fact that what they're actually doing is taking away your social safety net, that they're gonna build, you know, a lake in Ashland and a new prison, and that they're gonna do all this stuff that's gonna make your day to day life worse and other people's lives worse. Like, if we get rid of the shiny thing here, this horrifying thing, you could see the rest of it. And I think that's a calculated effort. I mean, I think there's genuine believers and they're unreachable, but i think I think that I think that folks know exactly what they're doing when they when they bring up when they find these scapegoats when they target kids when they do that they know what they're doing
0: well on your side, if you're trying to say uh the model of resistance will make you cool like a pirate, maybe that's more <laughs> motivating than like you'll be a good citizen. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm always fluctuating between like, old lady at the seminar or <laughs> like, <laughs> or revolutionary. I don't know. Um, I think, you know, sometimes though there is something about, you know, just being a good citizen and thinking about things in that way, like, does this make my society better? That's, in this moment, fairly revolutionary. You know, is does this make my life, my neighbor's life, my mom's life, my kid's life, does it make it better? Or is this just, you know, nonsense?
0: Right. Well, the nonsense is is there's so much nonsense. There's
1: so much nonsense. It's tough to parse.
0: Thank through the God nonsense.
1: for podcasts. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, we, 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 we're talking about the, the the problems of you know, like what stops people from really getting engaged, and I, I my go-to answer is uh, Neil Postman, which I think I talked about again in the last conversation. The he lost. The yeah.
1: Lost Tapes.
0: The Lost Tapes, yes. Because uh, he says basically – he has a great line at the very beginning where he talks about how the problem with you know George Orwell, and everyone's obsessed with 1984, is not necessarily that people will ban books, but that you can make a society where nobody wants to pick up a book in the first place, uh, that they will just sort of like if there's a button that makes them happy, they'll press that forever. And he was writing that in 1985, and now, of course, we do carry around that button in our pockets at all times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's just like it, it's a little bit boring to try to learn how government works, to learn how the city council works, what you can do about it. Like, it's just not as exciting as watching Netflix. I disagree entirely. Great. Please talk me out of this.
1: I was just making this joke to someone that these are like the city council is like my my shows, <laughs> you, know like, right, you yeah. know, like how our moms had like the soap operas. Yeah. And that's like what our shows. <laughs> yeah. This is my show. I love it. And I think when people get into it, I think they do see that because it's fascinating stuff. I mean, yes, it's incredibly boring and you're just like sitting. I mean, you know, the hearing rooms are 73 degrees no matter what. And they're ugly and there's too much carpet and the curtains are ugly and whatever. Um, (laughs) I would like to have a really beautiful city hall. (laughs) That's what I mean. I really think that people would get engaged if we had like some actual (laughs) temple instead of Something that's going to survive the nuclear apocalypse. <laughs> I don't know, but that's my pitch to the yeah, city. Less what's function,
0: left? more aesthetic.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure it's functional. I mean, the escalators are, have been out for months, but in any case, um, I mean, that's drama. There you go. There's a drama for you, Tom. Um, but I do think that people, <laughs> our elected officials are human beings, and like you can learn their personalities and like watch what's going on and, um, I think there is like, I think there is really actually a drama. This is the great soap opera of humanity. This is what this is. Like people struggling and people like just sitting through boring stuff. We just did in city council. I honestly, I laughed so hard that I was coming to do this right after watching this. Um, We had an hour and a half discussion about a neighborhood plan that ended up we didn't even need to have it. Like city council didn't actually need to vote on it. So it was just this like drama (laughs) between like, you know, a neighborhood group and a different neighborhood group and the industry and then like city council and what their sort of ideological ideas about it were and then the planning department was involved in like all this stuff. And I can totally understand someone sitting there and just being like, why? Why am I, why did I sit through this? But you always learn something. And I most people that I work with, when I help them, you know, or like, you know, train them to sort of get into this stuff, um, they do get interested in that way, because it is human, it's humans interacting with each other. And I think maybe somewhere in their brains, they're like, this is, these are those fundamental questions. Like, how does society, how does society exist? Because it is actually incredible that we exist in a society. I mean, if you like truly think about it, like just the idea that I live next door to someone is like
0: wild. Yeah. They've got a domesticated wolf.
1: Yeah. She has a cat. Um, but yeah,
0: <laughs> Domesticated lion. Tiger, yes, exactly.
1: Whatever. But it's like it just it is. It's incredible that this is possible. Um, and so I always I think one of the things that always makes me fundamentally sad about stuff and about politics. Sometimes I'm like, this is incredible that we can do this. Why are we ruining it? Right. Why are we ruining this idea? Like, this this just chips away at that, and it chips away at that fundamental connection that we have with each other. Because, I mean, we exist in a society. We've somehow figured out how to, like, I don't know, obey stop signs. Like, that's, <laughs> I mean, like, if you think about it, that's kind of incredible. Um, and people have just sort of agreed to do that, you know? So... It's it's an interesting – yeah, I don't know. I get it. Agendas are boring, but they're also not, and you'll always learn something. In any public hearing, you're going to learn something. I think that's
0: a bad pitch, actually, because people don't – they're here learning, and they think, oh, I don't know about that.
1: It is a bad pitch, but you could come see me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> you'll make it fun. I will. I will try it. That's what I was – that's what I try to do, but I think – I think people do get interested in it once they get into it. I don't think that I've ever worked with a single person who has sort of asked, how does this thing work? Like, I want to go testify at this. How does it work? I guarantee you I'll see that person again. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you I'll get a text message from someone who I had, like, talked to two years ago. about something, being like, are you watching city council right now? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think people do get into it. And I think it's I think one, because it is it is interesting. It is fascinating and you do get a better sense of how things work. And I think people want to know that. I think people do want to know how do things work. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this microphone works, but I'm fascinated. Right. I don't want to know about it right now, but I'll maybe go Google it <laughs> later. Um, but yeah, people want to people do want to know things.
0: Well so that's that's a nice optimistic note for us to end on, actually, right? Embrace your curiosity and and the drama.
1: and the, I mean, it is. It is dramatic. You don't think it is, but it absolutely is. I'm like, God, I should bring popcorn to all of them, but it's too hot <laughs> to do it.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for recording another conversation after the one got lost. Let's this do is, it every week, Tom. The, all right, I'm in. Let's do it every week. <laughs> all right. Okay, we'll talk more. <laughs> My guest today was Dr. Aaron Feistinger, Policy Director, the Women's Fund of Omaha. Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos, and our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today, and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock.